My favorite Christological image has long been that of the pelican. Partly that's because I grew up on the Gulf Coast, where the sight of a brown pelican, though not unusual, is always something special. But it's also because of the nature of the connection between Jesus and that particular seabird, because of the ways that a pelican reminds us of who Jesus is and how Jesus saves us. As early as the second century, Christians used the pelican to express the nurturing, loving care of Christ. You may have seen an icon of a pelican feeding its young on an altar frontal or hanging in front of a pulpit, maybe in a stained glass window or some other sign of religious iconography. And you might have wondered, especially if you were in a church not by the sea, whether someone had mistakenly substituted the pelican for a dove, that more common bird we see in church. But I'll suggest that a pelican offers a far more vivid understanding of who Christ is than that pigeon we more often see in church. <laughs> Although based on a misunderstanding of the bird's behavior, mother pelicans were thought to feed their young by piercing their own breast with their long, sharp bill and nourishing their young with their own blood in a powerful gesture of maternal sacrifice. Actually, mother pelicans tuck their heads down in their side and jerk their head up and down in order to regurgitate the fish that they've already swallowed, partially digested so that their babies can receive it as food. But why would we let advancements in ornithology stand in the way of a good image of Christ? So hang with me for a moment. But that ancient image of the pelican feeding its young is especially important for contemporary conversations about our faith. Feminist theologians have long asked whether Christianity can be redeemed from its inherently violent and masculine context, from that understanding of the faith, which almost all of us hold, that is inextricably linked to the execution of Jesus. Think about it. If the central moment in our religious story is the death of our Savior, and almost all the language we use about God's saving work reflects that violent act, how can our faith be built upon something besides violence? And given our 2,000-year love affair with misogyny and patriarchy, one could rightly ask whether our religion, which at its core celebrates an act of violence as the means by which salvation comes to the world, whether our religion could ever be freed from that dangerous, hyper-masculine background. Or, to say it less academically and more practically, how can we, as parents and grandparents, as Sunday school teachers and preachers, how can we teach our children about God's love in Christ without glorifying a gruesome execution in order to do it? Well, Janet Martin Soskis, a Roman Catholic theologian who specializes in the role of women in the church, thinks that we can, but we need the pelican to help us. 
Although some of her feminist colleagues think that Christianity can never be separated from that violent imagery, Saskis believes that we can turn those images, her language, turn them without dismissing them completely. For her, the cross, which remains essential to the liberating, loving, life-giving message of the gospel, that cross symbol can be turned into a symbol of nourishment when we think of it not only as a place of a violent death, but also as the place from which God feeds her children. Another common Eucharistic image from the ancient world helps us make that connection. Perhaps you recall seeing an icon of the crucifixion. But this particular icon has off at the side a figure holding up a chalice. And into that chalice, a stream of blood and water emanating from the pierced side of Jesus arcs until it is caught in that chalice presumably then to be given to the church in Eucharist. Guided by that image of Jesus' sacrifice, when we look upon the cross, we encounter not only the one who was killed and raised on our behalf, but also the one who, in the Eucharist, feeds us with a life-giving nourishment that flows from Jesus' breast. Those ancient Christians saw that, and they saw the pelican as an image of how God saves us in Jesus Christ, how the sacrifice upon the cross is a self-giving that nourishes God's people in the same way that a mother feeds her child. That's a very different way of looking at what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Jesus declares, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Even Jesus, when trying to describe how his saving love would come to the people of Jerusalem, even he chose the image of a mother hen, a barnyard bird gathering her baby chicks under the shadow of her wings in order to protect them. In a world in which salvation usually comes adorned with armor plates and armed with supernatural powers and specialized weapons, Jesus asks us instead to consider his salvation as the one that comes to guard us and protect us and shelter us in the same way that a mother hen might collect her brood if a fox were lurking nearby. Although it probably sounds a little surprising, given what we know about the Pharisees from the Gospel accounts, that religious group comes to Jesus and warns him that Herod, the fox, is trying to kill him. You tell that fox that I have holy work to do and that that work is too important to let him get in the way, Jesus responds. Jesus isn't worried about Herod's threat. Herod's responsibility and authority are up north in Galilee, and Jesus knows that soon he will head back down south to Jerusalem 
to the seat of power, to the city where God's prophets are always stoned and killed. But Jesus goes down to Jerusalem to give himself up for the sake of those he wants to protect, even though he recognizes that some won't want that kind of savior. Some aren't interested in being sheltered under the wings of a mother hen. Because the problem with the Christological image of a hen, or even that of a pelican, is that a bird doesn't stand much of a chance when people start throwing stones at God's anointed one. If you asked us which savior we'd rather stand behind, how many of us would pick a chicken instead of an eagle? A pelican instead of a fighter jet? But God's saving love comes to the world in Jesus Christ, not in political power or in military might. It is the love that saves us through surrender, that protects us through vulnerability, that nourishes us through sacrifice. Believing in a God who rescues us like that costs us something in this world. It costs us to give up our hopes and expectations of physical, emotional, and economic security. It costs us to follow that kind of Jesus into the places where he will confront those with authority and ultimately be rejected by them. It costs us dearly to follow that kind of Jesus into places like Jerusalem. If Jerusalem was the place where Jesus went to confront the powers of his world, where do we think Jesus will ask us to stand beside him today? Who will reject as blasphemous Jesus' message of vulnerable protection and sacrificial nourishment as our greatest hope? Who refuses to listen to those who say that that is the pattern for all of us to live by? Who will be the first to pick up a stone and throw it at those who come in Jesus' name when that is the way that they talk about God's salvation? Jesus promises us that we will never see him until we are willing to say that he is the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord, that his way of gentle sacrifice is God's way of saving the world. May we be gathered under the shelter of Christ's wing and nourished by the blood that flows from Christ's breast until we know the saving love that God has for all of God's children.